It's Monday, April 15th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, flames engulf the famed Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. We'll give you the latest on what's happening at one of the world's most iconic buildings. Then we'll go deep into campaign fundraising. We'll connect the dots on why the first quarter reports out today are important for the race to 2020. And finally, we'll explain why the Supreme Court is taking on a case that was too vulgar to talk about. You may want to prepare your ears. We're here to make your Monday smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by Duncan. They have a new line of signature lattes, blueberry crisp, caramel craze, and coca mocha. Sound too good to be true? Sipping is believing. And so is listening. Let's do this. Breaking news out of Paris. The Cathedral of Notre Dame is on fire, an out-of-control fire. The Notre Dame Cathedral is on fire. It's in flames as we speak. That was this afternoon, when stories about Notre Dame burning started popping up in your alerts. French officials say the fire began sometime after 6 p.m. local time. After about an hour, the fire spread to the famous spire at the top of the cathedral, and then part of the spire collapsed. It looked unreal. The French Interior Ministry said that 400 firefighters were trying to put out the fire, dousing the roof with water. A spokesperson for Notre Dame said that everything was burning and, quote, nothing will remain of the cathedral's wooden frame, and that the vault could be threatened too. The cathedral is home to celebrated works of art and priceless Catholic relics. Right now, we don't know what caused the fire. The cathedral has been undergoing renovations. Last week, the statues on that spire were lifted and removed by crane. The building was surrounded by scaffolding. The Notre Dame Cathedral is almost a thousand years old. It was built in the 12th and 13th centuries. During the French Revolution, people destroyed religious imagery inside, and it kind of fell into disrepair. It got a revival after 1831 with Victor Hugo's novel, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and people were moved to fix up the cathedral. But in recent years, it's been falling apart again. Earlier this month, the BBC reported on how hard it is to repair Notre Dame. Maintaining the building is an ongoing challenge. Pollution, acid rain, and age are now eating up not only its fine details, but also this building's actual structure. That report was published just 10 days ago. Notre Dame is not only a religious landmark, it's one of the most famous examples of French Gothic architecture. 13 million visitors come to Notre Dame every year. So people around the world are watching this fire. This story is still developing. We'll have an update for you tomorrow morning in our newsletter, The Daily Skim. So today was a major deadline for people in the U.S. to file paperwork about their finances. Not just for you, but for these people, too. Brothers and sisters, we have a lot of work in front of us. We are all in this together. So let's do this together. And now uh, I'm counting on you. If you can go to PeteForAmerica.com, join in, donate if you can, sign up if you want. Today is the deadline for everyone running for president in 2020 to show us their receipts, to tell the U.S. government how much money they've raised for their campaigns in the first quarter of 2019, what they're paying for, and who's on the payroll. So you've probably been seeing a lot of numbers out there all day for the Democrats and for President Trump. We're going to explain what's important about these numbers and why. Okay, one of the big numbers people are talking about is how much each of the candidates has raised so far and who gave them that money. Keep in mind, money isn't everything. 
In 2016, Republican candidate Jeb Bush came out of the gate with more money than all the Republican candidates combined. But those dollars didn't translate into likes. During the primary, he won zero states. That said, showing how much money people want to give you is still considered an important indicator of how well you'll do in the race. We'll start with the Democrats first. At the end of the first quarter, the candidate who raised the most money was 2016 presidential candidate Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. He raised $18.2 million so far. Quite a bit behind him is Senator Kamala Harris of California, who's raked in $12 million. And in third place is Beto O'Rourke, the former congressman from Texas. He's pulled in $9.4 million so far. But the other important number these candidates are touting is where that money came from, because the number of donors matters here too. To get on stage in the first two Democratic primary debates, the party says you have to have at least 65,000 people donate to your campaign or be polling at at least 1% in several public polls. Basically, you have to be on a few people's radar. Those are important benchmarks for candidates like entrepreneur Andrew Yang. He's only raised $1.7 million so far, but he says he has at least 80,000 people who donated. That's enough to put him on the same debate stage with frontrunners like Bernie Sanders. So, money matters. But in terms of getting TV debate time in front of voters, it matters more that you have a lot of people backing you. And sometimes when it comes to money, less can mean more. Campaign fundraising, especially in a crowded primary, is a marathon, not a sprint. The Federal Election Commission sets a legal limit of $2,800 for how much an individual person can donate to each phase of a presidential campaign. First the primary, and then, if they're lucky, the runoff and the general elections. That's to keep things fair and square. The bad thing is, if you give all your money to your favorite candidate up front, you can't help them down the line in that phase if they get into trouble. Because you've used up your limit. So it's better to get a bunch of smaller donations throughout the campaign so their war chest keeps getting refilled. That's why you're seeing candidates today tout how much of their total amount raised came from small contributions, anything under $200. You probably remember in 2016 when Bernie Sanders made a big deal out of saying that his average donations were $27 and dissed Hillary Clinton's big money fundraisers. These small amounts are a way for candidates to show donors that they could have more staying power and that they have average Americans behind them, not just wealthy donors who can drop the whole $2,800 at once. So that's what's going on on the Dem side. Then there's President Trump. He had to hand over his receipts too. And he blew everyone else out of the water. Trump raised over $30 million in the first quarter, more than Bernie Sanders and Kamala Harris combined. He's also talking up his small donations. Trump says nearly 99% of his contributions were $200 or less. The average was around $34. And in total, he has over $40 million. That's an unprecedented number for an incumbent president at this stage of the game. But he's technically been running for re-election since the night of his inauguration in January 2017. Less than a month after he became president, he held his first 2020 rally in Melbourne, Florida. So what's the skim? You'll be hearing about fundraising totals throughout the year, at least three more times. That's because candidates have to release their numbers every quarter. But today's reports are the first big ones. A Pew Research Center poll from last year shows that 77% of Americans support limits on campaign spending to make sure larger political donors don't have greater influence on election outcomes. But even though there's that $2,800 limit for donations to individual campaigns, it's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of political donations. 
There are other limits for annual donations to things like political action committees and state and national party committees. If a donor gave the max to all of those, they would have contributed $157,000 a year. And that's not counting contributions to super PACs. Those can't legally be tied to a candidate, but can back up what a candidate is calling for. And those donations are unlimited. As the 2020 presidential campaigns deal with limits on cash donations, the Supreme Court is exploring its own limits on free speech. That story is next. There's nothing worse than the afternoon slump, except an afternoon slump without the pick-me-up. Insert Dunkin's new handcrafted signature lattes. They come in flavors like Blueberry Crisp, Caramel Craze, and Coca Mocha. Warning, they may make you take more coffee breaks than your calendar would like. Sipping is believing with Dunkin's new handcrafted signature lattes. America runs on Dunkin. Price and participation may vary, limited time offer. It sounded a bit like Harry Potter in the Supreme Court today. The justices heard a case about a brand that must not be named. The word at issue, as Justice Breyer called it, was the acronym for a brand called Friends You Can't Trust, better known as F-U-C-T. The brand's been around since 1990. GQ called it an OG streetwear brand. And yeah, it's pronounced fucked. Or as Chief Justice John Roberts described it, the vulgar word at the heart of the case. That marketing trick has been a big headache for the brand's founder, Eric Brunetti. Back in 2011, the Patent and Trademark Office rejected the brand's application for a trademark. They say it's against the Lanham Act of 1946, which forbids immoral or scandalous trademarks. Brunetti says that act is unconstitutional. He says it goes against the First Amendment's freedom of speech guarantee. So the Supreme Court has been called in to settle the debate. And this is actually the second time in just a few years that the justices have heard a case on trademark restrictions. Back in 2017, they ruled unanimously that an Asian-American band, The Slants, should get First Amendment protection for their trademark, even though the name was kind of derogatory. Justice Samuel Alito wrote that the expression of ideas can't be prohibited just because some people find it offensive. That ruling also protected the Washington Redskins. The football team got back its trademark, which had been canceled after the government got complaints from the Native American community. Soon after the slant's ruling, the U.S. Court of Appeals ruled in favor of Brunetti. But the Patent and Trademark Office said, F that, and now the case is with the Supreme Court. The Patent and Trade Office says the fucked case is different because it's not about being disparaging. They say it's because Brunetti used the name alongside strong and explicit sexual imagery. Just to be clear, fucked has been around for almost 30 years, and nobody's telling Brunetti he has to stop putting that label on stuff, just whether the brand can be trademarked so Brunetti can protect it against counterfeiters. But even though none of the justices wanted to say the name, they did have a lot of questions, especially about what they called the arbitrary use of what registers as scandalous and what doesn't. Justice Neil Gorsuch said it was like they decided by a flip of the coin. Want to make sure you don't get effed? Don't forget that today is tax day. That's next. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from the IRS. Today marks the end of the first season since President Trump signed a major tax reform bill into law at the end of 2017. The goal of the reform was to cut taxes for the middle class. And though the riches ended up benefiting the most from the cuts last year, a lot of taxpayers are benefiting too. 
the Tax Policy Center says that about 65% of people paid less than last year. But here's the funny thing. Most taxpayers don't think they got a tax cut at all. A New York Times survey showed that only 40% of people believe they got in a tax cut. So why the discrepancy? It's actually because the government told companies to withhold less money from employees' paychecks. Taxpayers got to keep a bit more of their paychecks every pay period. But that meant their refund wasn't as big at the end of the year. And that revelation may still be coming for a lot of taxpayers. The IRS reported on Friday that about 50 million people still needed to file their returns. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening to us today and be sure to hit subscribe and share the show with your friends. We'd also love for you to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. For more from The Skim, you can sign up for our morning newsletter, The Daily Skim, at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.